two weeks ago, well, actually three weeks ago, we started a series on spiritual gifts. The first night was an intro night because we didn't really spend much time except thinking out loud, what is it that we want to know about spiritual gifts? And we collected all those questions and we put them together. You're going to see those questions tonight. That was three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we actually kicked off the topic. And what we did two weeks ago was we started walking through why even spend time on spiritual gifts. And here's where just some of the highlights. You know, we highlighted the fact that most Christians know very little about spiritual gifts. Most of us go to churches that don't talk about them. And if they do, they're like mentioned in passing when somebody's accidentally reading a scripture that invades the spiritual gift territory, then they kind of zoom back out and get out. We don't really spend time actually teaching about them. We talked about the division in the church about, you know, what are the gifts and what are the issues even. And you're going to see that in a second. And really the biggest point is if the gifts are active and if we have gifts and we don't know what they are and we aren't using them, how can our ministry be effective? How could our ministry, right, even in this room, be effective if we don't really have people aligned in the right places? Now, I know we still have a lot more questions than answers on spiritual gifts, and that's okay. We're going to be going through that. So part of our quick review, just as a point to keep in mind of what spiritual gifts are about, we said that rule number one is that God wants, enjoys, desires to work through people. He could do anything on his own. He doesn't need any of us. But for some reason, he enjoys working through his people. Again, doesn't need us, but wants us to do some of the work. The best example I think of is the Great Commission. There's no reason why after Jesus' resurrection, he couldn't have just like painted himself across the sky and said, I am the Lord, everybody believe in me. There isn't any other reason why he said to a group of people, you go tell people about me and what you've seen and you baptize them and you disciple them and you tell them about me. That's evidence that he wants to work through us. And there's ample evidence through the Old Testament. Over and over and over, he would tell a prophet, you go tell the people. You know, and we know also prophets are like, uh, could you tell them yourself? <laughs> no one's going to like to hear what I just received from you. But the Lord wants to work through his people. Here's the ongoing debate about that we covered in week one, our intro. The church is divided. The church is divided between those people who are on the cessationist side and those people who are on the charismatic side. A quick definition so we don't rehash that whole debate is cessationists believe that certain gifts ceased. Kind of the cool ones, unfortunately. You know, apostleship, prophecy, tongues, exorcism, miracles, healing, what you could call the supernatural gifts. Cessationists believe that after the apostles died, those gifts went dormant in the church. Charismatics believe that they're all gifts are still active. The supernatural ones and the not so supernatural ones that we're going to be looking at. That all of them are still active in the church. We covered that debate in week one. If you want to understand and listen to it, all of our stuff, as you know, is going to be online so that you can track the series even if you're not here. But the summary is we kind of looked at scripture together and thought, you know, it looks like the charismatics have a better point on this one. It looks like they have a little bit of explaining to do as to why the gifts went dormant through most of the Middle Ages and up until maybe the you know, 19th century, 20th century, they started to somehow start to reappear. But other than that, at least scripturally, the charismatics had a better point. So that's kind of where we've been. Here are your questions. These are the questions we collected that we are going to endeavor to answer. Not all tonight. That's the good news. But here are the questions. 
Maybe you're thinking about some of them yourself. Here are these, the questions you ask. What are all the spiritual gifts? Where are they found in the Bible? Are they still active? What about tongues and healings? Are those still around? Does every Christian have a spiritual gift? Is it okay not to have a spiritual gift? Are they equally important, equally effective? What if I don't know what my gift is? What's the difference between a spiritual gift and a natural talent? A lot of you have asked about that one. Can our gifts change? Can we lose a spiritual gift? Are some gifts obscured? How do you cultivate a gift if you have one? Is the spiritual gift a sign of salvation? Why does it seem that some of the big spiritual gifts work only in the charismatic church or in Africa? Do we not see gifts in America because of lack of faith? Should our gifts be used in secret? How would you explain to someone who's growing in the faith that everyone has a spiritual gift? Do spiritual gift inventories work? Big key that we're going to be talking about tonight. Can we discover our spiritual gifts without a test? Can I use spiritual gifts anywhere? Are there gifts that everyone have? And of course, my favorite, what gift is the holiest and best gift and do I have it? I can almost guess. I can almost guess who that one was. <laughs> yes. You and the sons of Zebedee hanging out. <laughs> okay. Those are your questions. Let's start answering some of them. Just by way of last point on summary, last week what we did was we passed out the spiritual gifts inventory. We spent some time out there on the lawn and the chairs like going through it. I also emailed it to anybody who wanted it to take it. Some of you have emailed it back or sent it back and I've kind of sent you your list. The reason I did that is because we even before we start talking about answering your questions and talking about what each gift is, I thought maybe you at least want to know what your giftings might be. You can look at it and then we can go through it, all right? And like I said, we're gonna talk about the test itself, the inventory test itself at the end. I'd like to critique it with you. I'd like to hear your thoughts on people who took it, what you think of it, all right? So let's start with the questions. What are all the spiritual gifts? Here they are. These are all the spiritual gifts. Now, I, I say all with an asterisk. These are the spiritual gifts, there's 30 of them on the screen that are taken from scripture, but there are people who believe that the ones that are in Scripture are not all of the spiritual gifts, and I think that's probably a fair statement because I don't think that we can limit the Holy Spirit to what gifts he wants to impart to people. There may be gifts that, you know, this Paul just never mentioned or nobody, everyone just took for granted. There may be gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to fashion today that weren't even needed back then. I don't know what those could be. Whatever the Holy Spirit desires, this is the source of all gifts. It's not, I don't think we can limit the Holy Spirit in this way. But here they are. They're at least scripturally referenced. Um, and the, ex the, the inventory that you guys took was seeking to identify by asking questions. There were five questions on each one of these 30 gifts. And that's why there were 150 questions. Seeking to hit those from different angles to see how you would test on them. So administration, apostleship, craftsmanship, deliverance, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, intercession, interpretation of dreams, interpretation of tongues, knowledge, leadership, martyrdom, mercy, miracles, missionary, pastoring, prophecy, prophets, serving, simplicity, teaching, tongues, wisdom, and worship. The list comes from scripture, so let's look at the next question. It's where are they found in the Bible? Like where do we get this list from? This is where they're from. The main ones that discuss spiritual gifts are Romans 12, 6 to 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 28, Ephesians 4, 11, okay? And people throw in 1 Peter 4, 9 to 11. So that covers 
all of those. There's also, you see that I just put down in general, Old Testament and New Testament. There are some gifts that we know are active that don't have specific references, for example, from Paul's writings or somewhere, like interpretation of dreams. We know that people in the Old Testament had that gift. Daniel had it. Joseph had it. So it's a gift that the Spirit can give, and that's where people get interpretation of dreams. We don't have an example in the New Testament, but by looking at all these different passages, plus, like I said, some references from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we get the complete list of 30 that most people agree is probably the list. Uh, you can see that the main passages, like I said, Romans 12, that's where we get prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, and uh, leading, and mercy. By the way, those should be separate. 1 Corinthians, there's a, the whole chapter 12 is dealing with the subject of gifts. We're going to actually read chapter 12 tonight. So you can see that those come from there. Uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. It also lists apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, healing, helps, administration, tongues. So you can see that these things come from scripture and Paul is actually making examples and he's listing things. So people go, okay, that, those are at least in our list. Some of them overlap, as you can see. So that's where they get the list. All right. Sound good? That's question two. Where are they found in the Bible? Are they still active today? Well, you know what? I guess that's what the whole debate has been, that we spent time. So my short answer is yes. Okay? Okay? That's an easy answer. Short answer is yes. They're still active today. The question is, it depends on if you believe the cessationist view or the charismatic view. The cessationists just believe that they're active except cool ones, but everything else is active. So you can open your house up in hospitality. You just can't heal people. All right? So those kind of things. Now, I want to be careful that... That doesn't mean that cessationists believe that there are no healings in the world, there are no miracles in the world. They just believe that, like in the Old Testament, God, the Holy Spirit, comes on people for limited purposes to do limited things in the world. Not that there are people walking around with that gift who can use it at their discretion. So that I don't think that if you corner a cessation, you go, how could you say there are no healings in the world, for example? I know somebody who is healed. They may say, yes, God healed them. God can do that at any time. That doesn't prevent them from being healed. All right. But at least if you're just going to say, are they still active? Well, yeah, both sides agree that some, at least something's active. Okay. Even if something like administration, you type very well. Okay. Does every Christian have a spiritual gift? There, how many people believe that every Christian has a spiritual gift? Okay. Well, that's the answer. Yes, every, every Christian does have a spiritual gift. Here's where we get that. It's from 1 Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. And to add strength to the argument, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, again, where Paul is giving specific instruction about spiritual gifts. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good to each one. So that's where charismatics get the doctrine. I think a lot of people agree on both sides that each Christian has a spiritual gift. The question is trying to identify it. And I was wondering how you felt about that after taking the inventory, if you guys all thought, yeah, I think that's true. At least it turned out true experientially for me, but we'll take a look at that separately. Is it okay not to have a spiritual gift? I think that everybody has a spiritual gift. That's at least the research, and, and the scripture seems to bear that out. Everyone has a spiritual gift, seems scripturally accurate. So... I still believe there's a case that we might not always know what it is or might not be you know, correctly identifying it sometimes, but the answer is, yeah, sure, everyone should have one. 
Are all gifts equally important and equally effective? This is kind of going off that last question about what's the coolest spiritual gift and do I have it? What's the holiest one and, do, and how can I get it? Okay. We are going to be talking in future weeks, I think, about can you pray specifically to get a certain gift? Because there are people in the church who believe that. There are actually conferences you can sign up to to get certain spiritual gifts, you know? This is like when you're in the Boy Scouts, you need a couple merit badges, you know? So you, like, you sign up for the ropes course or whatever, and you get the ropes merit badge or whatever it is. Okay. So before we get to can you, you know, zero in on one you kind of really want, are all gifts equally important and equally effective? What do you think? In his eyes. God's eyes, yes. They're all equally I think so. Equally important, okay. Anybody else agree, disagree? Yeah. There's an aspect of this where I have to say that God values all of them. But the, that doesn't mean necessarily that all of them are equally important. Because like even the comparison of the metaphor of using like the body of Christ, like each person has their own thing. Yeah, like the eye's really important. Without the eye, like you're screwed, without the hand you're screwed, but like that doesn't necessarily mean like the eye is just as important as the hand. Without it, you could put like having a really good hand might be better than having a really good eye, you know? Like, or being like the belly button or something, right? <laughs> you know, like in the body of Christ, like what's my purpose, you know? Uh, okay. No, I think that's that that's that really hits the point because I think that, you know, we've been hitting some easy answers like, are they still active? Yes, you know, should they right have yes. But this is a little bit more tough to think about. Are they all equally important and equally effective. And yeah, what's your thought? Everybody should be like me, so therefore mine are the most important and most effective. And how come you're not there? You know, that's that's part of the problem there. But one of the one of the books I'm reading has a topic that they identify called gift projection. Gift projection is the idea that if I have a certain gift, everyone else should have it because that's a sign of spirituality. And there's a whole wing of the charismatic Pentecostal movement that feels like if you don't have tongues, that's an indication that maybe you're not saved. If you don't have tongues, maybe this Holy Spirit hasn't given you some sort of blessing. Uh, if you don't have faith, like other people have faith, then maybe there's something wrong with you. Uh, maybe it's a matter of people who can live in simplicity. You asked, like, simplicity. That everybody else is just, a, is just an outright materialist capitalist, and they're, they're not following Jesus if these things are truly gifts that people receive, that means that not all of people are going to receive them. And that's one of the things we're going to be analyzing and critiquing about the charismatic model. Some of the churches that believe that everybody has those. Uh, a study was done in a church, in churches where people believe that you cannot be saved or that you aren't really baptized in the Holy Spirit or whatever the point is without the gift of tongues. They say that eight out of the ten people who go to that church have the gift of tongues. But if you go to a church that just believes that the gift of tongues is one of the gifts and that everybody has various gifts, the percentage of people is more like two out of ten. So it almost seems like people go to these churches and almost project themselves into a gift or try to gain something because everybody around them is telling them this gift is the most important and the most, and the most valuable one and you need to have it or everybody should have that. And I think that isn't what Paul's saying at all, by the way. So we're going to be looking at that, but let's look at this question, too. I think it's another trick question. I think that all gifts are equally important. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12, which is the metaphor of the body we're going to be talking about. But not everyone has developed or cultivated their gifts to the same level. I mean, if you're on a mission trip and you have the gifts of being a missionary or being an evangelist, you're going to, you might have more effective uh, 
presence there than if you have the gift of mercy, let's say. But in certain situations where you have to take care of somebody, having the gift of evangelism probably doesn't help that situation much. It's, we gotta kinda line up giftings and the roles that people are in sometimes. But I think it's also true that even people with the same gift don't all have it to the same degree. If you have the gift of evangelism, that's awesome. But if you've ever seen like a guy like Billy Graham preach, he has the gift of evangelism at a different level. All right? You can't say that's human-ordained. That's, that's clearly a gift. And, and somebody else, you could say, wow, that person has a gift of evangelism, but they might not be the same level in terms of how they've cultivated it, how gifted they are. And I think that sometimes you think, well, you know, God shouldn't play favorites or gift some people more than others. But look at this world. Look at the way God blesses some people more than others. It just, it's the way it is. All right? He gives to people in different proportion. He even gives to people who aren't believers in different proportion. So I think it's just a, I think they're all equally important because they're all intended for the work of the body and the work of the kingdom. Sometimes they're not all equally effective because we've got to align people into the right roles. And that's where I think we can look at 1 Corinthians 12. Because Paul begins this passage, he says, about spiritual gifts, brothers, so this doesn't apply to any women, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. There's only a couple other times when Paul just comes right out and says, I do not want you to be ignorant, meaning this is a very key part of our faith. He uses those same words in a letter when he's talking about the bodily resurrection of Christ and the bodily resurrection of people. He also talks about the second coming using these types of words. I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay, so he's writing to people in Corinth in this letter who either are misusing some of the gifts, misunderstanding some of the gifts. So he says, I want it to be clear. Let's read some scripture together. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So that when we ask, like, what's the purpose? Why do we get these gifts? It's for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So you can see he's listing there for us some of the examples, but he's not trying to make an exhaustive list. He's saying these are some of the gifts, but remember, they're all given by one spirit and they're given to each of us for a purpose. All right, now we look at the analogy of the body. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized with one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. I've heard this passage preached sometimes where nobody's talking about the spiritual gifts. It's a little bit odd because that's what the whole point is about. Now the body is not made up of one part but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Clearly, the analogy is to the body of Christ. But what is the stuff he's talking about, all the, if everybody were an eye and everybody is near? Why is he using that analogy? What do you think is going on in Corinth at this time that he has to put this down in an analogy and ask them, can everybody be an eye or can everybody be an ear? Yeah, I think he was addressing that there were either some people who believed that there were some gifts that were cooler than others, there were some gifts that were more important than others, maybe they even said there were some gifts that were more spiritual than others, or there were some gifts that were superior for ministry than others. You know, that if you have these gifts, then you're supposed to be ahead of the ministry or you're the top dog. If you have these other gifts, like those are important, maybe. Does that change in our churches today? It seems like we still have a pecking order of the way we value gifts. It seems like after all these years and hearing this speech over and over and reading these verses in our churches, we still think some gifts are more important than others. I always think about this because we have some people who have what I call like the upfront gift who can get up and do the cool things like preach and exhort and teach. And that'd be great if we had somebody who could heal in front of everybody. Wouldn't that be cool? You know? But what about the people who do all the other stuff? You know, what about the people with the gift of administration who are like working in the background to keep the whole church going, to figure out how we're going to pay our bills, you know? What about the people who are doing like the service parts? I went to the church one time when I, had to, I just went there. It was late at night on a Saturday and there was somebody there at like nine o'clock at night one of our church members scrubbing floors and scrubbing bathrooms and cleaning up stuff, getting ready for Sunday. I never even knew they had somebody doing that. That's not an upfront gift. Like, I don't even know that that person even lets people know that they do that kind of service before Sunday begins. I, I was kind of touched. I was also one time when I used to do the worship team, we used to go off to the library, a little side room while we were waiting to get back up, you know, again. There was a whole group of people who just sat there through the whole service and did nothing but pray. They're not up front at all. They were doing, like, they were literally praying the entire service for the Spirit to be in the sanctuary with everybody else, in the message that was being delivered and in people's hearts. Wow, such a cool thing. And they were doing it without anybody knowing. I mean, I just happened to walk in and hear what they were actually praying about and thought, wow, I didn't know this happened. So he's saying, we have all these different functions to have a body. And what's sad to me sometimes is that it seems like we're still, even despite, we could point at Corinth and go, oh yeah, they thought this and they thought this. He had to write this letter and set them straight. Sure, write this letter to us. Because we still seem to think that there are some things that are more important. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. I like to put in, we should treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. 
But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, here's another list of gifts, First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those gifts of healing, those that are able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. He moves in from this point into 1 Corinthians 13. What's 1 Corinthians 13 all about? Love. Love. And that's where he says, after setting up this whole thing of the importance of gifts, their place, he's going to say, and now I'm going to show you the excellent way. In 1 Corinthians 13 is when he dives in and says, you could have all of these gifts, but if you have not love... You're like a clanging cymbal. And he goes on and makes all these analogies. So he's saying, hey, these are important. These are for the work of the body. But let's not forget that the greatest thing is still love. When he says, are all apostles, what do you think the answer is? No. All can't be apostles, right? Are all prophets? No. So you get down to this point where he goes, do all speak in tongues? Like, seems like the answer is no. So right there, it seems like we have a clue directly from the text that some of the churches that believe that everyone can have any of the gifts that they desire, it seems like he's saying, hey, this contradicts this whole analogy I just gave you about the body, how there's different functions, different parts, different pieces, they're all important, and you can't be all of them. You'll have some of them. So a very important teaching about the gifts and probably the longest uh, part of scripture we've read in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to come back to that because that, that, that is, like when I saw that, I almost dropped an asterisk because I knew that somebody who's paying attention is going to go, wait a minute, does that mean it says eagerly desire the greater gifts? Can I go to one of those conferences where you get the gifts? You know, like do I get the little, you know, conference bag and inside of it there's like a special thing that you pray? We'll, we're going to look at that. I promise we're going to come back to that because that is one of those things that people actually kind of hang their hat on when they say, look, he's saying. But just to think for a moment, even before we get to that subject later, you think he'd write all those verses about how like they're all important and then say at the very end, but forget what I just said, just go after the really cool ones? I mean, that would just seem a little strange for Paul to at the very end say, like, is everybody this? Is everybody this? No, we need to all just be together and be the body of Christ. Hey, but go after the really cool ones. Like, it just would be a little bit different, okay? Did you say that yeah, well, and that's why some people link and say what he's really doing is transitioning to now talk about love. But then there's that other transition statement. So it's fair enough that we hit it. I promise we'll come back to it, okay? All right, here's a question that I think is important. Do non-Christians have spiritual gifts? Yes. Who said yes? Tim? Okay, what do you think? Yes, why? Because we're all created in the image of Christ and that I think we all have gifts. Okay, I, I, I accept the answer. What do you think? I would say no, because the, like in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about 
the gifts are given so that the people work together as a body of Christ. Like, it's given to Christians who are working together as the body of Christ. It mentions nowhere, like, all of these are in, in reference and in context to people working together as Christians as the body of Christ. Anyone want to weigh in on? I'll, I'll weigh in. I'll say, uh, uh, yeah, I think that Christians can have spiritual gifts. Uh, and I think they can exercise them in the wrong way. Um, it's like uh, going back to the famous uh, Lord, Lord, you know, how haven't I done this in your name? How have I cast out demons in your name? And they said, I don't know you. And didn't say casting out demons was a spiritual gift, right? So. I think what we're going to have to do on this one is deal with a definitional issue of what a spiritual gift is defined to be. So my answer is no, but I want to, maybe I should even have put an asterisk next to it because I have to give you an explanation of why I believe it's no, and I, we have to deal with the definition. You know, maybe I'll, I'm going to move it and then say, let's go to this question and come back to it because it's very closely related. What's the difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift? And then we can come back to whether non-Christians have spiritual gifts. A lot of us wonder about this question. It was the most common one, I think, asked when we surveyed everybody, give us your questions about spiritual gifts. What's the difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift? Uh, you, you and I all, we all know many, many non-Christians who have amazing gifts and talents. We use the word gifts, you know, in, in maybe not the spiritual gift context, but we say that they're just talented, they have natural abilities. Even Christians have natural abilities and talents that may or may not be a spiritual gift. The hard part is discerning that. That's why we're going to end talking about the spiritual gifts inventory. So what I put down here when I said, what's the difference? I'm trying to define spiritual gifts. This is not my definition. I'm kind of compiling this from the different people who are writing, trying to wrestle with what exactly is a spiritual gift, not what's the list of them, but what's the definition of one. And they say that spiritual gifts are specially given by the Holy Spirit to believers to be used within the body of Christ and for the work of Christ on earth, which is really almost the same thing. But I'm saying within the body and then when the body does its work on earth. Under that definition, it would seem that that would mean that non-Christians couldn't have spiritual gifts. And again, let's make sure we're talking about spiritual gifts because there are instances like the one that's been pointed out where it's possible that demons, people who just use the name of Jesus, we know that in the, in the, in the book of Acts, there were these kind of like, for lack of a better word, charlatans running around trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the demons kind of got wise to it and beat them up. Remember that? Okay, but they were at least able to do something. I mean, it wasn't like they were powerless. They were like casting out demons, and all of a sudden the demons went, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you guys aren't real believers. Like, they started beating them up. Yeah. This is way off the track then, then related to the inventory. Um, how did they differentiate between the natural talent and the spiritual gift? Yeah, it, it's, it's not off track. I, I want to take that critique of the inventory when we come to it, I think it's on the next slide, because that's it's troubling. It's hard for us to distinguish. I think the, the inventory tried to make a distinction, but it was so subtle that a lot of people didn't catch it. Under the definition that we just put up here, if that's really the definition of a spiritual gift, it's a gift given by the Holy Spirit to believers. 
Not like a one time, like I'm coming upon you, not like I'm praying in faith for something to happen, but this is a gift given by the Holy Spirit to believers. It seems like the answer would be no. So there is a difference between a spiritual gift and a natural talent because this natural talent's already there, but that leads to this question. How do I know if it's a spiritual gift or a natural talent? I mean, without the inventory for a second, just how would I know? And, and that's a difficult question. I'm not going to give you an easy answer on one. I can tell you in one case how it's easy. It's this one. If the giftings appear after conversion to Christianity, it might be a good indication. What do I mean by that? I'll give you a specific example. Okay. Actually, Lena gave me an example that was pretty good. I'm going to kind of use two. Maybe they're, they're very related. She was telling me about Pastor Jack Hibbs, who is the pastor of Chino Hills Calvary Chapel. And he was called to be a minister and a preacher, and he thought he shouldn't take that call because he stuttered. But as soon as he accepted the call to actually step out and preach the word, his stuttering was gone. And if you've ever heard him preach, he is, he's a gifted preacher. I mean, that guy can preach, I don't, he can preach about anything, and he'll have you the whole time. There's just something about him. Does that mean that he wasn't ever naturally talented? Well, according to his story, he wasn't. And then when he answered the call, this gift came upon him, and he is now gifted. One of the things I've said as I've analyzed and watched him is I think he could talk about tire tread for 50 minutes and you'd be mesmerized. That to me is an indication that it's a gift that he can preach, even if he wanted to talk about tire tread, because it's now a gift that he has some control over that the Holy Spirit has given him. And those are kind of an indication. The problem is it's hard the other way around. Like some people I know, they've just been naturally talented in music since they were born. I don't know. Does that mean that they don't have the spiritual gift of worship, for example? I don't know. It doesn't mean that they don't have the spiritual gift of worship. It just means it's harder to tell whether you're relying on your natural talents or you're relying on a spiritual gift or both. And that's where you need to seek that out in wisdom with other people. Maybe the inventory helps. Maybe it doesn't. My second example is in my own experience. I mean, I was a Christian from the time I was young, very young, four, five. I mean, I was aware of Christ. I was aware of who he was. I, I had a, 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 you know, I accepted Christ very early and I never wavered from that my whole life. But there was a definite experience of a call in my life that happened when I was 15. It was, it was much later, well, much later in terms of when you're a kid, you know, um, from five to 15 is an eternity. The reason I bring that up is because I know that in my own life, if I took a spiritual gifts inventory, probably teaching is going to be pretty high up there. And in speaking and I don't even know if you want to call it preaching, speaking, teaching, those kinds of gifts have always been, I consider, gifts. Only because if you knew me before 15, I, I was, I was the, the most scared, shy I could not get up in front of people at all. Uh, I had, there were horror stories that if I tell you, you'd rather have somebody scrape your nails on a chalkboard than to hear the stories of how bad it was for me before that point. And I remember specifically the day that I felt that call. I remember specifically from that point forward, it was totally different. So if that really is a gift, which I believe it is, and if it's one of my gifts, which I believe it is, 
that kind of supports that idea that at some point, like that, it wasn't a natural talent, in other words. Now, for me, that means I'm lucky because it wasn't like I was born like a natural talker and an upfront person. I was actually very shy, very scared of people, very insecure, very unable to, to communicate. And then all of a sudden something happened and it was completely opposite. You know, where you could actually feel that you were connecting with people while you spoke at such a level that, you know, you're like, something weird is happening. But like I said, the harder one is when you might have had that talent your whole life, you know, you might have been that kid who was always like that, and you grew up and you became, uh, you know, that kind of pastor, preacher, whatever person, and you, it's hard to tell. And I don't have an answer for that situation. Again, I'm going to say that if it's a supernatural gift given by the Holy Spirit, it should have a flavor that's more than just if you went to training or something, you got to accomplish that same ability. I mean, I've actually had this conversation with Lena directly after we've left Chino Hills, where she would say, why can't so-and-so pastor learn to preach like that? And my answer was, they'll never learn to preach like that. That's not a learned thing, what you just saw. That's a gift. All right. Now, look, there are people out there who make lots of money uh, speaking or whatever it is, and they have these amazing charismatic things, and they're not Christians at all. So there is a natural talent. You know, The only reason I can say with more confidence that in that particular case, Pastor Jack has that ability that's a gift is because we know he didn't have it before, and then all of a sudden it was there. So in his case, it's easy. In, in many of our cases, it's not so easy. You know, and I know some of you who've asked this question, well, I kind of feel like I'm talented in this area. I totally agree. I can't tell you for sure whether you are or not gifted on that because your talent may be the thing that's driving it or it may really be a gift. I don't know. All right. So did you guys change your answer then from the non-Christians spiritual gifts? Or no. you still believe it? Yeah. I guess it's in definition because the demonic manifestations of the spiritual gifts are not spiritual gifts, but they are a manifestation which is a counterfeit. Okay. You know, that's why I say that there are, from a human point of view, you know, it, it almost takes a gift of discernment to figure out right. oh, this is a Satan. That's the key. That's why one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of discernment. But what does the gift of discernment tell us? It tells us that you have to discern when it is the spirit and when it is not. One of the things that people do when they start studying spiritual gifts is they think that spiritual gifts are all that there are. And that's what I'm trying to make clear that I believe based on even our other series that we've covered when we spent time on spiritual warfare and the power of Satan and the power of demons and how far does that power extend. Spiritual gifts are this thing over here and then you have other spiritual things like spiritual warfare and the power of Satan and his demons and whatever that power may be. You also have where the Lord himself does things in our world that have nothing to do with spiritual gifts. He just decides to supernaturally intervene, to answer a prayer, to meet somebody at their moment of faith. Okay, It's not the spiritual gift issue where you're walking around with the ability to do something. This is just God interacting with us. All right, So your spiritual gift may be administration. And all of a sudden he says... Dave, I want you to walk over there and heal that person. You're like, but I don't have the gift of healing. It's like, I, I'm healing. I'm just using you right now to do that. Okay? Or the Lord may just do it on his own and go, Dave, I heard you praying for that person. They're healed. I'm answering your prayer. So we can't put like spiritual gifts as the only game in town. This is just one thing. And by the way, the church is really good about dealing with all the others. 
answering prayer, dealing with like demonic influence, what's going on in the spiritual world, spiritual warfare, put on the armor of God, all those things. We're in this camp over here. So we tend to get a little bit of tunnel vision when we're focusing on it, but we just got to remember that it's, there are other things going on. And that's one of the reasons I think, as you said, definitionally, it may be that spiritual gifts are reserved for Christians because they're gifts from the Holy Spirit when he indwells them. That doesn't mean that non-Christians and other people or other parts of the church who don't even have that gift can't do those kinds of supernatural or spiritual things. So are the gifts of the Spirit the same as the fruit of the Spirit? No. The answer is no. Fruit of the Spirit, everyone should strive for the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is what brings us closer to being more Christ-like. If you have the Spirit, you will strive to have the fruit of the Spirit. So everybody in here knows what the fruit of the Spirit are. Let's recite them. What are they? Mumble, mumble, peas and carrots. What are they? Mumble, mumble, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. They are in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are things we should all be striving for, just to put them up there, not to confuse them with gifts of the Spirit. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. That's what, what the fruit that is yielded by the Spirit indwelling us. If we do not have a certain spiritual gift, should we avoid ministering in that area of ministry? You do not have the gift of teaching, so you just go, I'm not really a teacher, I'm just hanging out in the back. You don't have the gift of evangelism, you go, you know, I have the gift of administration, I'll just like, you know, make mailing labels for the church. Let somebody else go door to door. What do you think? How should we align people? If we figured out what everybody's gifts were, do we just shuffle them on the board and get everybody in the right area, like on a chess game, so that we're right? Or do we just say, no, we should all be doing everything? What, what do you think? Just, you know, I, I don't want to focus on me, but everybody knows I went to Russia, and I scored really badly on missions and evangelism, and that's basically what we went there for. It could be viewed as a disaster almost from when I went, from some people's point of view. But at the same time, how do you, you know, that's how I discover, you know, and I'm still not opposed to going to mission field. That's not a problem. But I just, to me, you got to keep trying these things if God impresses on you and opens up doors for you to, because there may be a manifestation of some gifts later on or development of it. I shouldn't say, oh, I scored, scored low on that, so I'm not ever going to go to the mission field again. God says, opens up the door and says, go somewhere, I'm going. What if he doesn't speak directly, though? And to, I mean, if he doesn't open up the skies and says, go, what do you think? Uh, like, I agree with you on the spiritual gift part of where, like, we should put more emphasis on the gifts that we have and, like, use them to the degree the Lord wants us to use them at. But I also feel like we need to keep an open mind about, you know, you guys are talking about evangelism specifically, but it's like, you know, well, I think all gifts can lead to evangelism. You know, honestly, like, you can sit there and, you know, whatever, ad administration, like, organize, say, hey, man, you're really good at that. Like, what do you think? Hey, to, um sharing the gospel of Christ. Well, let's look at the list for a second because I want to point out that there are some gifts that I think, whether you're gifted or not, we're, like you said, we're still called to do. Like, I don't see anything in the Great Commission that says, like, only the gifted are to go to the ends of the world. It just says, go, right? There's nothing in there in these areas. Um, there's nothing in the, in the Great Commandment about to love 
that seems to be only the people who have that gift of mercy or hospitality or serving. It's talking about everyone should do these things. So I think if you look at some of them, like evangelism and, 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 and missions and all those kinds of things and serving, there's direct commandments from Christ for all of us to do these things. So it's not a way to get off from that kind of duty to say, hey, you know, let me off the hook here. I don't have the gift of mission, so I shouldn't go. I think we should go. I think we're all commanded to go. One of them up here, if you see, is giving. You know, there are some people who are gifted to give. They have a passion for giving. That doesn't let the rest of us off the hook from giving, though. You might say, well, some people are, like, gifted to make money and give. Like, yeah, but there's nothing in there that talks about, like, only the gifted should be giving and supporting. All of us should be doing that. So I think if you look at it, of course there are some things that are more, they would just line up and say, yeah, sure, I actually have that gift. And I do agree, by the way, that if we could align our teams so that everybody was in the right place, we would be more efficient, we would be better at it, and I think that's the way God intended it. That if you really are an eye or you're a foot or whatever you are, that that's how the body's supposed to be working. It'll work better as a body. But it doesn't get us off the hook from doing the other things. Some authors say spend like 70 to 80 percent of your ministry efforts on the places where you feel gifted, but you need to spend at least some of your time on the other areas that are important to the body of Christ. You had a comment? Well, yeah, like everybody's called to give, but someone who has a gift in giving is going to be giving exceptionally more or like be better at it. And the same with like teaching with all these, they're going to be doing more or doing better at it. So there's, yeah, a degree where we're all called to do all of those things, but not necessarily that we're all called to do all of them above and beyond. It does, even in teaching, by the way, because I think that we have a tendency, and look, the church, for because it likes to put on theatrics, does the same thing. We have a tendency to put our best people up front and go, those are gifted people, let them teach, because it would be awkward if we get somebody up there who doesn't, you know? Then you're kind of limiting the Holy Spirit. Not because you're saying that person does or does not have the gift, you're saying that the Holy Spirit can't speak through somebody who's not the best and gifted teacher, which is totally false. The Holy Spirit will speak through whoever he chooses and will use our weakness often in in those situations. I mean, Paul even says that in the passage that we looked at. All right, let's end with this. Do the spiritual gift inventories work? Can I discern my gifts without a test? I don't know how you guys felt about the inventories. I've heard different people say different things about them. I've already heard one comment. I think David said it's in the test itself. There's like difficulty in trying to determine is that just a natural ability that I have or is that really a spiritual gift now in the inventory they try to ask questions like you notice they always say like in the church you know because they're trying to limit it to apply to Christian and church situations so I think in general it's helpful to go through these questions because there's 30 different gifts some of them you probably don't even think about you, know, you might not think, like, maybe I didn't know giving was a gift, but they ask five questions that show that you have a, a real propensity to want to give, and maybe that identifies, like I word, the word identifies, the possibility that that's a gift. But I think a lot of outside confirmation would be a good thing. Here's some things I noticed that were biases. Not only does it not really do a very good job of distinguishing between natural talents and gifts, I noticed that people, uh, how do I say this nicely, like people who who see gifts in themselves everywhere, tended to score higher. People who don't think that they have much to offer scored lower. And the reason I know that is because as I looked objectively, I think, 
I, th I would score it higher on all of those things for that person. I think that person's being hard on themselves in the way they scored that question. Other people I was looking at going, well, they're being a little generous <laughs> in the way they scored that question. But it's subjective. One improvement I would add is maybe it'd be good to do what a lot of other people do, you know, kind of like what's called like a 360 degree review where you, you actually, you take it and somebody else takes it for you, like try to give you some outside evaluation of how they see you. People who know you well, people who kind of understand you go, hey, could you take this and answer the way you think I am and get some feedback from other people because they might, I think some of the people who didn't, who didn't score so much on some gifts, I'd say, well, if I were taking that with you, I would have scored you higher on some of those points. Maybe you don't see it or you're looking at the question too narrowly. Another weird thing about the test, I told you that I would do this and thankfully it did happen. I told you that we would give the spiritual gifts inventory to a non-Christian and see how they did on it. And they actually scored higher than some of you. There might be something wrong with the inventory. Like, theoretically, the person who wrote the inventory used believes strongly that Christians have spiritual gifts and non-Christians do not. So I thought, being the kind of lawyerly guy that I am, kind of a little bit, yeah, let's test the tester, you know. So we gave it to a non-Christian to see how that would work, and she actually did pretty good. Like, she has some gifts. Now, she doesn't have exorcism or healing, you know, or anything like that. You know, that would be, then you'd be really worried, you know. <laughs> oh, no. You know, we have like a witch in our presence, you know. But, but, but. But she scored pretty highly on things that were spiritual gifts. What does that mean? It means one of two things. It means that the inventory doesn't do so well uh, in following its premise that only Christians would have these things. Or what it more likely means is when she was taking the inventory and looking at words like, do you uh, have this gift and use it in the body of Christ? She just crossed out in the body of Christ and just said, oh, yeah, I have that talent. And then scored it pretty highly. Which, again, means that the inventory, I mean, it's not going to be perfect. But just taking an exam might be a little bit difficult to accurately hone in on some of these things. Okay? So those are some things that I observed about it. That there might be what I call survey bias or exam bias where you might see yourself in one way where other people might see you differently or you might see yourself like this way where other people will be like, ah, eh, not so much. Okay? Or you're reading the questions the way you want to, like the way that a non-Christian read them and go, well, I don't do it in the church, but I'll think of the same thing in the workplace, for example. It's like it's not the same thing. If the Holy Spirit is really giving that gift, you can't just use your natural, raw talent. Yeah? Almost every single question was focused on, like, have you received feedback that this is your gift? I felt like something was like, well, I might be gifted in this, but, like, I haven't had people come to me and be like, you were great doing this, right. you know? Right. Like, mm. Yeah, one of the reasons for the results-oriented nature of the test, I think, is because the person who wrote that test is sensitive to the criticism that a lot of spiritual gift inventory, rather than, has anyone ever told you that blank, which is more a little bit more a shot at being objective rather than subjective, most inventories say, do you feel that you're like this? So people, again, who feel highly about themselves, they're like, oh, absolutely, I have this gift, I have that gift, I'm this, I'm that. And somebody who doesn't feel that way about themselves is like, way down here. By having it at least ask, has anyone ever told you that, you go, yeah, somebody has told me. So that tells the person who usually scores lower that, hey, look, other people value you and think you have that gift. It tells the people who think really highly that unless somebody has told you that, you might not have it. It's an effort to kind of bring it to the middle. I don't know that it works that good, though, because it sometimes eliminates you from saying, I think so, but, but nobody's actually come up and you know, slapped me on the back and said, wow, you know, the way you just showed mercy there. You know, like, like that doesn't usually happen. 
The only, the only people who get that kind of feedback are the people who have more of the upfront things where people come up later and you know, give you that kind of feedback. But if you're like somebody who's just giving, especially if you're giving in secret the way you're supposed to, nobody comes up to you and goes, hey, that was a, that was a big fat check you wrote, man. That's awesome. You know, we're gonna make you an elder. Uh, you know, like you don't get that. So you might not, you know what I mean? Okay, Dave, you had a comment? Just another comment. I took a different inventory probably two, three weeks ago, something in the last month, and I was liberal with my answers on the first one, and you know, pretty hard on myself. Yeah. Time. You know, being uh, if they if I didn't meet the whole thing, then I rated myself down. But I came out the same pretty much with both inventories. Yeah, I think this question here: Can I discover my gifts without a test? Well, I mean, you know, that's the other side. I, I mean, it's. Yeah, then you're just kind of like reading the scripture going, yep, nope, yep, nope. I mean, you know, it's really, it's much harder. I think that the inventories are valuable. How valuable? I mean, I think that they're not extremely valuable. That's my own personal opinion, okay? But they're a great starting point because they get you a lot of the way there. I think that if you could, you could definitely improve upon it. Um, maybe ask tougher questions sometimes. Maybe actually the best way to improve upon it is have somebody that you know pretty well take it with you, for you. Like have them score you on the same things. Um, so that there's a balance between what you think, what, what a couple other people think. You know, and then you can kind of look at that in aggregate. Also, there are just some things that I just think are hard to test for. There are just some people that I know that I think you, I really think that the Holy Spirit works through you in this way, and I think you might have that gift, so it's almost like you look at it. There are ones maybe you're on the border, you're not sure do you have it or not, and that's the best place to sit down with people. Like, you might be in that range where it goes, looks like you have it, not sure. That's when you sit down with people and go, you know, I don't know, maybe you didn't answer the questions right, but I really think you do have that gift. You know, I don't think that, or they might say, eh, you might have just scored high because you answered the questions a certain way. I really don't think that's your strongest suit, but you need to find somebody who's honest enough to, to sit down and you do that. Uh, something that Ryan said, I agree with, like, the, uh, even the test we took, like my criticism of it was it only helped me if I basically tried everything already. And I think the best way to really know what your gift is, is to really have tried anything. And it's sort of just guessing, like someone who hasn't really experienced any of those, like, or had the church say, well, here, try a week on healing, try a week on like speaking time, try a week on giving, you know, like, and see like what you're gifted at. How do you judge whether you're like good at giving until you actually have money to give, you know? Like, True, except that I think in response to that, some of the stories of people who find their giftings without a test, by the way, it's not like they go through a, a trial to figure out what it is. Most of those cases, it's clearly upon them. The people who have the gift of healing, when they describe what it's like, they describe like a burning sensation that's going through their body where they just cannot but go over to that person and touch them. And they don't even know why they're doing it and suddenly they're healed and that's when they discover they have the gift of healing. It wasn't like they go, okay, today is like healing week. Let's see everybody, let's line up and see if we can heal the person and whoever gets it like, okay, you're the healer, you know? Um, it's, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take a rotation in different you know, areas of ministry, but remember, we're tending to deal with these things as like, again, we're, we're almost like classifying them as like, if you have like a natural predisposition or a talent in some area, this is the Holy Spirit. And in some of these cases, like especially with the, some of these supernatural gifts, the way they're described, and again, jury's still out on if you're going to believe the cessationist view or the charismatic view, but the people who describe those types of gifts... They don't describe like, a, you know, one day I thought it might be a good idea and it happened. Like they're describing like a person who has the gift of tongues just one day just, just started speaking and they couldn't stop or something. Or a person who had the interpretation just stood up and go, I actually understand what that person just said. 
You know, I understand what they're saying. And so we, I don't want to compartmentalize the Holy Spirit. And I agree with what you said. I just want to remember that in a lot of cases, yes, an inventory might not be needed, not because we take our turn at it, but because the Holy Spirit's power is so powerful, so strong, so present that you just know. And I've had those moments many times even in teaching. I, I don't know how to describe it, and I don't like to talk about it much because it sounds like I'm more spiritual than cerebral, but I'll be standing there and I'm speaking. It's like the words are coming out, like I'm having an out-of-body experience, and you can see the people. It's almost like you just, you've got them. You know, you're holding them. And it's the weirdest feeling in the world because it almost scares you that you have that. People come up and they describe, like, not the words, but the feeling of what it was like to be held into that place. And you're like, like, you just, you just get very quiet and very distant. That's the difference between, I think, sometimes when you say, do you have a talent of, like, exciting people and moving them to action, or is it a gift? You know, and I've seen people describe that in preaching, in exhortation, definitely in healing. Other things, like even giving, where they just like, their whole desire is to see the church thrive through financial giving. Like, it's not when I get some dough, I'll try to see if I can make some of it. They're like finding every way they can to cut and give and do whatever they can in a supernatural way.